What up, what up? This is Big Bad Runsky, the almighty driving scientist, and you're listening to the only podcast that I fear and is possibly better than my own, the Mankind Podcast. I was thinking about this yesterday. I think one of the big things that people might not really know about me is um, I have massive social anxiety, like severely. Uh, I just, I've, uh, which is ironic because my choice of line of work revolves around being personable um, and having interactions with community and with people. Uh, but I've always, my whole life, I've hated. I forced myself to go to parties because I felt like I had to. Yeah. It was part of, like, socially growing up, you know. Uh, but never been a really big – I love being around family. I love being around people that are friends of mine that I've always considered family. Those are moments I enjoy. Um, I like partying if, if I'm, you know, on a patio somewhere just drinking with people that I really do care about. Um but that's, I think that that's a big thing. I think a lot of people in our line of work, whether it be entertainment or um, customer service or, like, the bar industry, I think a lot of people think that we thoroughly enjoy uh, spending time with strangers and being around multitudes of people. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've, def- I've, I've battled with depression and a crippling social anxiety probably the majority of my life. I think that that's, I mean, maybe the depression people might get from music, of course, but uh, I think the social thing, I think a lot of people expect me to be very outgoing. And my brother was very outgoing, and I think that that's a big deception. Yeah, yeah, Big Bad Deco, uh, my older brother, got me started doing everything. Um, and he's, he's, he, our whole career, he was a very social butterfly, like a super interactor. And he's the, he's the guy that loves to go do stuff with people. You can put him in a room. Yeah, doesn't know a stranger, you know. Yeah, right. Um, <clears throat> so my brother, like I said, he, he Digo got me started and everything I was doing. We grew up in New Mexico, and I had a um, my brother was is five years older than me, so it's kind of a, a unique um, age difference where you spend a lot of time idolizing the person that's a little bit older than you. You fight like dogs, but at the same time, you you really um, you look up to the individual, um, and I've noticed that with a lot of my friends that have the same kind of age gap within their siblings. Um, so for me, from the time I can remember being very young, uh, I'd always beg to tag along with my brother, and my mother <clears throat> definitely um, was a working mom and, and had her hands tied a lot, and she um, would constantly force my brother to take me places as, as a means for her to have childcare. Like my brother would have to watch over me. But it would also allot him some freedom to leave or whatever. So when we were super young, we used to go um, just running around. Like we used to have dirt bikes and stuff like out in New Mexico. Like it's it's pretty much the country, so it's pretty prominent. And yeah, like BB guns and, and shit like that. So we would spend a lot of time just kind of running around in the wild. Which was looking back on it, you know, there was kind of a lot of uh, a lot of danger to that. But I mean, it was like my mom was like, you know, if you got your brother. What's that? Was it the 70s? No, it was the, the, yeah, yeah, the late 80s for me. Okay. Um, but, I mean, he was uh, he was definitely, he grew up in that fashion of just, my parents were like, just don't, just come home and you'll be all right. So, anyways, long story short, I spent all that time with him. And as I got a little bit older, um, they started calling me Runt as kind of like a, kind of like a nickname, but kind of like to pick on me type thing. Because I was always much smaller and I was always hanging out with everybody. 
No, yeah, it was definitely like uh, like a, you're the runt, like shut up runt. Like, and so it became, as years went on, my brother and them got a little bit older, it became endearing. And so it was literally my nickname since I was a child that my brother and his friends had bestowed upon me. So once I got into doing music, um, you need a moniker and it's always this big thing. Um, and I just picked up using runt because it was literally what my brother, my my cool, my brother's cool friends were calling me. So I thought like, this is probably the best fitting name for me. Yeah, and at the time I was I was fourteen, thirteen, and so when I would go to battles and stuff like that, I was the young yeah. like little guy. Yeah, um, so that's where that where runt came from, um, and I just kind of stuck to it. And as time goes on, it just became more and more of my persona, like more and more who I felt like I was. As a metaphor for music too, I always felt like I was kind of the 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 person that they didn't think was going to make it type thing or like the survival aspect yeah. of it wasn't you know the yeah you know and so that and that's always a fun angle to play when you're doing music and stuff yeah. everybody, everybody the so I, I, I stayed on that and then um jive and scientists actually came from at the time you're talking late 90s so it's like 98 99 97 99 98 um we we were doing we had a group called J Squad, um, and this is right after like Def Squad had come out, and okay. we were really big fans of like Red Man and Eric Sermon oh and stuff. And so, right, and so we we um, we had to make this uh, basically a business name because we would go around and do mobile DJing um, at uh, parties on the reservation. I'm from Gallup, or I grew up in Gallup, so there's a lot of they'll have like a chapter house, which is kind of like the it's like the kind of um, like the town hall of a real small village type thing. Yeah. Um, and they're all over on the reservation. So these places would do like teen events and dances and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we would go out to these and DJ for them and get paid to do them. But that's how we got into doing stuff. And then every time you go to one of these, there'd be rappers from another town or whatever. So that's how I kind of got into the, the battling aspect of it and just rapping and kind of doing it constantly. I was already doing it since I was young, but... With traveling with the J Squad thing, that's how uh, we began to get some notoriety. And then the time came where we had already designed a logo, and that was the JS that we use currently okay. for J Squad. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we're at J Squad is it was my name is James, my brother's name is Jason, and our friend that uh, we started things with, his name was Juan. Okay. And so it was all J's. Mm-hmm. Um, then we started branching into actually recording. And once that happened, it became pretty apparent to me pretty quickly. Like, J-Squad was kind of corn. <laughs> like, it wasn't really going to, like, it wasn't original. Yeah. And this is at a time whenever, we used to call it, like, spitting science. But it was, like, a lot of the people that we liked at the time were, like, um, like, like James Cypherface is always a great example of that for me. Like, sure. very intricate with their wordplay, but talking about a lot of knowledgeable stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And so that was a huge influence to me at that time where... Styles of Beyond, like a lot of the guys that I liked at the time were doing that. And so the science became kind of like uh, uh, kind of like a metaphor for the foundation of what I was studying at the time, I guess. Yeah. And so I just was trying to find a name that had the J and the S in it because okay. I love the logo. Yeah. And we were trying to – I remember being a kid and thinking I needed a Woo Bird. Oh. And it was like I want. I loved the Woo Bird so much. Like yeah. it meant – 
it was this image, but it meant a million different things. And so I always thought if we're going to be a successful like, group, we need to have a Woo Bird, mm-hmm. like something that people would see brand-wise. And this is way before I did any kind of like looking in a branding or anything right. like that. But I just knew what the Woo Bird was, and I knew what I wanted, you know. And so, um, so then I had to find a name with JS in it. So derived from science, um, just being kind of what we were into, what I was trying to do at the time. And then jiving just came from needing a J word um, that would fit with the idea, right? And so when we said it, it was jiving scientist. And the idea was that we were taking the jiving being like the creative aspects of ourselves and adding that to the science of what we're studying, which was music at the time. But it was much more of like an umbrella term because we were doing graffiti, we were doing art, we were doing dance, we were doing, you know, production, DJing. So it was kind of like we started out as like a more of a crew of a collective of um, just creative people. So the, the term had to kind of embody all of those things, which I think it did. Um, and then it, just as years go on, you stay with your name and then people start affiliating you with it. And we'd even had a couple moments where we'd been encouraged to change it. Um, um, just to like run and fan or something. Um, we had a co- we actually had a deal put before us that would have was a record deal with a pretty prominent artist, and um, they just wanted us to change our name, and it was something that I I told them I wouldn't do, <laughs> and so we ended up not taking the the kind of little deal. I mean, it wasn't a big thing, but it was something that like it was a moment where I kind of had to reflect on what our name was and if, whether. I had to attach to it or not. Um, but, like, the first, when I was 18, the first thing I did was went and got a tattoo, you know, like, yeah. on my chest of it. Like, I just, All it was in. the commitment, you know. And then so later down the road when someone asked us to change it, which even our current label right now, I received an email about that, and I was like, here's the thing. Here's why I wouldn't change it. Because right. um, it does remind me of where I come from constantly. And I think that no matter what kind of, what success or lack of success I seem to see that name is always it's just funny enough that it reminds me of like being a kid but at the same time um it's it's established credibility so it's like the name itself carries weight Mm -hmm. and so it's funny to have it be the dichotomy of it being silly um to some people until they know us and then it's embraced which is funny to me but yeah, so that's Javin Scientist derived basically from me needing the JS word. I think um, I'm in a weird spot where I have a, a large catalog of work, and I think that that voice has changed quite a lot over the years. Uh, we have I have 10 full projects that are available in rotation to some degree. Um, and, and I very much think that I had a vision of what my sound was trying to be when, when we put out our first couple of projects, which was Boom Bap, which was... I was trying to pay homage to the things that I grew up uh, loving and embracing, which was a lot of, like, um, East Coast, like, Wu-Tang and, like, Killer Army and, like, you know, um, and Gangstar and Tribe Called Quest. And then, yeah, and then very much West Coast, DJ Quick and, like, G-Funk and Dre and, um, I mean, gangster rap just as a whole. Um, all of these things affected me a lot. So I think in my early work, I really tried to duplicate that sound, which I think you do, you know. 
um, until you learn what your voice is. I think so. Um, I grew I grew up mostly in Gallup, New Mexico. Gallup, New Mexico has a real heavy Chicano um, and Native American influence on all aspects of life there. Um, so, as a child, I was a minority. I'm white, um, and so like from the first day I got on the bus in first grade, I was the only white kid on the bus, and they're all speaking literally in in Navajo, like in another language. Um, so, my and I and I come from a place in Oklahoma where if I would have stayed, I would have been a racist. Like, there's no way I wouldn't have been. So to to be born in that environment and then to be thrown at a very young age into the opposite, it really kind of shuffled me with like having identity, right? Like I didn't know what I was, and so I definitely embraced music a lot. Um, that was a great outlet for me to feel empowered and so all of those influences were important to me as I was growing up but I remember like taking like ice cubes like um like bop gun single into like fifth grade and sharing it with other kids and these were kids that scared me and because of my knowledge of music they were they they befriended me because I would put them on to new stuff so I found power in in music, I found power in music being able to make me relatable to people that came from scenarios that freaked me out or made me worried that they would beat me up, or even kids that bullied me at some point. At some point, I shared records with, you know, so um, that it empowered me. It made me feel safe. Um, so I always kind of embraced music for that reason alone. But outside of that, as I grew older, you start to mimic. I mean, you get into rap the same way that everybody else does. Like, you start to mimic it. Like, you learn all the words to a two-short song. Mm-hmm. And that was what happened to me as I started learning the speech. And once I learned the speech, then the language became apparent to me. And I've always felt that rapping um, is a language. It's not a, it's, it's not like a skill set that you, you're born with or something like that. You subconsciously learn to speak it. And that's what I think it is. I think it's a language. Um, and so at that age, I started learning the language. And then then I found power in writing my own raps. And by the time I was in junior high, when you're trying to find out if you can be cool, you're trying to get the girls to notice you, you know. I found out that I could rap in, in the halls and in the lunchroom, and people paid attention to me all of a sudden. And that was at a time when I was struggling with, like, getting bullied a lot. And so it became empowering for me to be like, well, you might be able to physically beat me up, but you can't beat me, like, rapping. I'll win every time. And then that became just, it forced me to continue to look at doing it. And that was most, majority of that was freestyle at the time. And that was at, it was late 90s, freestyle was still very relevant. And so I learned a lot um, doing that constantly. And then it wasn't until... Probably my, I want to say I was uh, 16 that I started writing. So it was much later that I actually wrote. But it was up until then, it was just freestyling because there was a lot of that happening. Um, I think starting out, we never really had goals. It was it was filling the time. So it was like when you grow up in a place like Gallup, New Mexico, there's not a lot of shit to do. And so we were always looking forward to the next battle, to the next B-Boy event. So in the beginning, it was filling that time, you know. Um, and then as that moved on, um, 
Fanta got a computer when we were like 16. And this is right when Acid had come out, which was like, um, it was the first multi-tracking program that was under 30 bucks. Yeah. Uh, so that changed a lot for us because we never had the means and never had the equipment. Um, and once that happened, I knew right away, okay, now I have some things I need to get. Um, I didn't know anything about production, but I knew Dre and everybody used the MPC 2000. Yeah. It was in the back of the CDs. It was like, it was everywhere. Yeah. So the first thing I did is I went and looked up how much that cost. I was like $2,500 at the time. I got a job working at um, a Holiday Inn Express. So my first goal was like buy an MPC. It's like I don't know how to use it, but I know if we have one, then we can make beats. And then we can go from there. So I worked there for two years um, and then eventually purchased an MPC. By the time I was like a, a sophomore, sophomore, junior, junior in high school um and then i remember we got it we didn't it took us a week to make it make sound we didn't understand it we thought you just bought it and the box just had beats in it you know we didn't realize you had to bring stuff in and so that was the big goal and then once we got that computer and everything it was like okay let's make an album so one of our uh founding members this guy chase crusher he uh real important influence on us he sent us a zip disc at the time and it just said Merry Christmas Runt and it was all samples so it was all loops and drum breaks we were really fortunate to have that because we got to sit with it and and learn how to to work Um, so we did that Uh, those were like my early goals you know was to just get product done Um, and then I graduated high school and a big goal for me I remember leaving Tucson or uh, Gallup and all my friends went to college in Albuquerque and Cruces. And I thought, I'm going to go to Tucson, and if I could just open up for a group I really, really like, um, that was my goal. I literally said to myself, if I get down to Tucson and open up for, like, atmosphere, that would be it for me. That would be really the biggest goal that I had. I got here, and within two weeks, met Dwayne, uh, this gentleman, Dwayne, that ran a hip-hop shop called Frequency. And um, gave him our demo. And then like a week later, he hit us up and asked us if we wanted to open up for the God Loves Ugly tour, which was atmosphere. Um, And I remember leaving his, down on Congress Street, leaving his shop and tearing up. It was like one of the first times I had like a music thing happen, you know. And I remember after he'd asked us, we got, we were leaving. It was me and my brother leaving. And I remember just thinking like, Shit, okay, this is what you asked for, you're here. Now what? Yeah. You know, and then we got home, and that's when a lot of our D, D, DIY, what is it called, do it yourself? DIY. Uh, that's when a lot of that really got started for us. DIY. We got home, <laughs> yeah. And we had, um, we just had a lot of people that were creating with us at the time. Yeah. And we got home, and we all just kind of hunkered down and really started planning out, like, okay. If we have this big show with atmosphere, like here, we know there's going to be so many people here. What do we need to have to prepare ourselves to be to be able to to attract some of that audience? We started thinking like that, yeah. um, and so with that happening, um, more and more after that, we got more and more shows. We got more and more time on stage. Mic fights had happened, um, which was really important for my development. Um, as an MC in front of crowds and stuff, 
but I mean, that was, to be honest with you, that was kind of my last goal I set for myself. After that, it just turned into creating. Um, and I don't know if that was a positive thing. I think maybe if I would have made some goals early on, I might have had a different outcome than I ended up having, um, which is, is, is totally possible. But I think that once that happened to me, I kind of realized we started putting out albums. And every album's always like a little bit of a disappointment, you know, because it comes out and in your head you're expecting this reception and you never get that reception, not the way that you fantasize, you know. And so I think I kind of just stopped making goals and just started putting my head down and like making, creating just to create. And it took me a long time to get there because each album was like a mini goal. But after I think our third album, our fourth album, I really just thought something was going to happen, and it didn't. And I think that that put me in a place where I was like, okay, why am I doing this? I should stop now if I'm doing it for any other reason than to create. And then so from that point forward, I've always just tried to create things and, and not have them have a, a shelf life or a, a end goal or anything like that. I think the process of making is more important than the byproduct. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So, I usually so I'll take a day... I always take a day to myself when when there's a show. Um, depending on the size of the show, if it's something like a release show for us, there's a little more anxiety to that because I've got a lot of bit, a little bit more work to do. But a typical show is I kind of get up and I do my regular day routine. I have about two to three hours to myself in the morning where I straight up like I have a cup of coffee. I might make breakfast for myself, but I like I'll, I'll watch a little bit of TV, like whether it's a little bit of news or just something mindless. Um, and then kind of move from there and uh, start thinking about what we need to do for the day. If I'm unsure about my my grasp on the show, I might go over it uh, with myself, which is basically just me in my room rapping, not even the beats, just like to the set. I usually have it by then. Um, but, yeah, and then we're, we've always been really prominent about being early. Uh, so we show up to whatever venue we're playing fairly early, as early as we can, because we know that we have a lot of stuff um, to set up. And the band guys are all super professional. We got lucky where I had, I've got a group of guys that that um, that are in our group that are just, they're able to pick up and play at any moment. And I could we could have a show right now on the spot and they'd be able to play, because um, they're all working musicians for the most part. So, um, but yeah, I mean, then it's, then it's hit the stage. By that time, I'm, I'm usually not nervous, just anxious to get going. I think for me, once I getting on stage is the hardest part. Once I get there, then it's just me and the guys on stage. I think the biggest distraction I have is um, anything prior and anything post, you know. But it's like well, as soon as I get on stage, because we've rehearsed so much, it's like pulling a trigger. It's just you just do it, and then and then it's. And then you're gone. Um, my mind state on stage is definitely, as I've gotten older, I've started to appreciate it much more. As uh, I just get up there and pour everything I'm going through out. I think some of it. I know that's like my like I know Fen sometimes is like, well, man, like you got real preachy on this one. But I think that it's. Um, I think that with time, I've seen a lot of things happen. Not even necessarily with music, just with like in the world. And I think that as soon as I get you know, a hundred people in front of me, 
I have a platform and a responsibility to speak on something that may be relevant at the time. Um, and I think the biggest message I've started to gain over the last couple of years is just kind of a kindness. So to, to kind of speak to being kind and to kind of propose people with the opportunity to be kind. I think to, if you take a group of people and you stop them, like a hundred people in a room and you stop them from talking and then you tell them directly that there's all these evil things going on, but there's people like myself and people like people in my band who are always going to be around wanting better things for each other and for you. And that if you, maybe you're in that crowd and you thought about killing yourself that day, it's like it, I feel a responsibility to get up there because I've had friends die recently or in the past couple of years where when I'm up there, I want to say, like, hey, just so you know, you can message me. Like, and, and I'll at least get back to you and like, be like, what's up? Like, you want to go get a beer? Or like, fucking just, I don't know. Like, I, sometimes I think maybe that... Maybe if that just happens once, which it's already happened to me multiple times, but it's like I f the more that happens, the more it reinforces that idea of, like, I do have a responsibility to, to be on stage, to speak to the people that might need to hear something, you know? And so I've learned that more and more as I've gotten older. But for the most part, when I get up there, I kind of just open. And I think that it's it's church for me. It's an opportunity to, like, just just be with people, you know, and commune. And that's the biggest thing is that you're sharing that time with people. And the bigger the crowd is, the easier it is for me. Yeah. Um, and that's just like mob mentality stuff. But it's like that, you know, when you have people in a world that's constantly grabbing their attention and sucking it for like 15 seconds and throwing it away, somehow you can get on stage and hold people's attention for 45 minutes. That's a rarity. So it's like when you do that, you have an opportunity and a platform to speak towards changing things or being positive. And those are, you know, those are things that I'm trying to speak to now later in my career um, because I feel like I have a responsibility to, to do so. I think we definitely will look at what we're playing. Um, if I'm playing a crowd of people that I know know our music, we select different music. Um, I think that we make, I make very slow music. I don't make really hype shit. I make kind of like dark stuff, yeah. And uh, but but the, there's you know sometimes I play a crowd that that's what they're looking for. Um, we try to play that if it's a, if we're playing a show that's like a different artist, we don't sound anything like them. We'll play a little bit more um, of the stuff that's upbeat, or we'll tailor the music to be a little more upbeat, um, which is the beauty of having the band because we can take a slow song and then go like, let's bring it up, you know. Um, and a lot of times we, we play that shit by, like, when we get to the show, we kind of just exclude slower songs. Mm -hmm. We can do some of the slower songs, but I only do them in, like, you know, for uh, for a crowd that I think wants to hear it. If we tour, I usually do one of the songs that that's popular. Yeah. That's a big problem is that my songs that are popular and do well for me financially on, like, streaming platforms are you play them at a live show and they're just like, whoa, like, down, like, sad, you know. Um, and they're not really upbeat. Right. So we've done a good job of, like, taking those songs and making them a little more upbeat. Um, but, I mean, selecting songs is really... Basically, I'll shoot out seven or eight, and then Finn will whittle down a couple that he doesn't feel like is going to work, and then we take that to rehearsal, and then the band just kind of plays. And they'll sometimes they'll be like, we should play this, and then we'll try it and see if it works, and if it does, we'll throw it in the set. 
Um, but yeah, selection is just crowd based. I try to play it like a DJ would play. One of my favorite quotes is from a um, from a DJ Z trip, and I can't remember it verbatim, but he literally it just says like, "You need to know your crowd. Like, if you're playing at a wedding, like you need to play YMCA. If you're playing, you know, at an ACD concert, ACDC concert, you need to play Megadeth. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. knowing who you're playing to is important, and you know, people don't. If you go in doing the same set all the time, people aren't going to, like, you're not going to be memorable. Yeah. It's just the same shit. Know your audience, for sure. I think we're super healthy right now. I think I have a different perspective because I run a venue, I think, so I'm getting to see a lot. Um, but I think that there's a lot of hunger. There's a lot of talent. There's a lot of room for growth, too. Um, half of my shows, rappers get up and rap on top of their lyrics, which is something that I hate and I wish wasn't happening. Uh, but another half of those guys aren't. Yeah. And I'm also... Ah. Yeah, and I'm also getting to have conversations with some of those people that do that, and they're they're like, oh, well, you know, no one ever told me that, and it's like, well, that makes sense, like, you know. So I think that we're as a community in Tucson. I think that we're healthy. I think we're one of the more. I think we're more um, in a better place than most cities in the country right now, and I think that has a lot to do with how, our size and a lot of other things, but. Um, so I think that we're good. The region, I have a lot of belief in the region. Albuquerque is a very strong scene, um, and they have a lot of tradition within them, which I've always thought is really important to a scene being strong. Like, there's a lot of OGs in Albuquerque and shit. And, yeah, and they hold true to that really hard. Um, Phoenix, I'm always seeing new things out of Phoenix. My only discrepancy with Phoenix is that I, I can't personally keep up. There's a lot, and it's so spread. Um, Flagstaff seems to be doing really well. Mike Hogg and all the work they're doing up there. Um, so, and Santa Fe also too. Um, so, I mean, I, I feel like the region's doing really well at the moment. Um, and compared to most of the other cities, when I go tour, I almost never get the kind of acceptance that we get in our region. So, I definitely see, like, we treat artists in a certain way here, which is important. Obvious, obvious for us is Meow Wolf in Santa Fe. Um, just because that's anyone that ever plays there has that reaction. Mm-hmm. We played the first rap show that ever played there when they opened was us. Nice. And we played a sold-out show with St. Francis, who's our label mate, when we're up there. So those two experiences were, yeah, giant for me. Um, outside of that, though, I think favorite place to play um, is probably Gallup, New Mexico, where I'm from, just because it's a different crowd. Um, I get a lot of children that come out to that. And so I feel like our message is a lot more powerful out there. We're, um, we're preaching to them about, like, you don't need to be confined by living here. Like, we're both from, like, three of us are from here. And we're out doing all this. You know, like, you don't have to be confined to this. So I think, like, those shows have been probably the most impactful. But other than that, I mean, like... I've had fun in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've had fun in, you know I mean? I've had fun in places where, like, I don't think people would expect to have a good time. But that's part of why traveling so great as a musician because you, everybody wants to know the traveling musician. Everybody wants to, like, be like, you can stay at my house if you want. So you get to cheat. Like, you get to, it's almost like you get to cheat life in this weird way of, like, <laughs> dipping into everybody else's life, you know? And I can see how you might lose your identity at some time doing that, but 
you know, for someone, for a group like us, we go out every couple of years for like two weeks. And it's just, it's so much fun to just share moments with people for a little bit and then leave. Yeah. And, you know, so, I mean, I think to me, like I said, Meow is probably the most epic of places. But outside of that, I think Gallup's probably been the most important. Yeah, uh, just big thanks to the whole community supporting everybody creating right now. Um, that's how I was able to get Thunder Canyon going, um, just by that same support. So, you know, thank you guys for coming out to shows and, and, and being a part of everything or having ideas for stuff. Um, and then outside of that, uh, finding us, my group's called Jivin Scientist, J-I-V-I-N, no apostrophe, uh, scientist. And, I mean, you can just Google that. We're on every major platform um, for streaming and stuff. Um, and then I run a podcast called The Science of Things. Same thing. You can just look it up. Um, it'll come up. But, yeah. Uh, and then I'm always at Thunder Canyon working. So come through, have a beer.